Welcome back to the Include Youth Podcast with me, your host, Niall Cook, and I am joined today by Oma Senior Youth Worker, Ronan Boyle, and we are also joined today by James McSorley, who I am going to describe as 26 QUB Law and Spanish graduate, wheelchair basketball Paralympic, bronze medalist and world champion, smiling politely, non-enthusiast and all the etceteras. I got that from your Twitter. That's hilarious. Um, (laughs) I I never thought that would be used in any official capacity. I kind of of made it a list of weird pop culture references so that it would never be used for anything. (laughs) James is on the podcast today as an Include Youth patron. Uh, Include Youth have a distinguished uh, team of six patrons who are ambassadors for the organisation and who offer support and guidance to young people and staff. So James, we're delighted to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here. James, just to give you a wee bit of background, uh, this podcast is used uh, by the Include Youth as a platform for uh, young people to voice their issues and opinions and allow them to advocate for other young people going through um, similar problems. being care experienced young people. Um, we use it uh, to allow people like yourself to advocate for young people um, with stories like who have overcome adversity and built resilience and get the chance to share your stories and maybe inspire some people who lack confidence or maybe struggle in life. Okay, James, we'll just jump straight on that. And I suppose um, the most obvious uh, starting point is you have recently won a bronze medal at the... 2020 uh, Paralympics. So it was 2020, but it was in 2021. Is that correct? Aye, so I think they'd done all the branding for Tokyo 2020 and everything contractually was written down as 2020. So they just thought, ah, sure, we'll keep all the, we'll keep all the advertising and we'll not, we'll not reprint new posters and stuff. So it was the 2020 Paralympics that just happened to be in 2021. But yeah, so went to Tokyo in August this year. So, James, how was Tokyo? I know it's the uh, pinnacle of every athlete's career, but what was it actually like to be there? And what was the experience like? It was, obviously, it was something that I'd thought about for a long time, having played wheelchair basketball for most of my life and kind of been somewhere along a pathway to being sort of at the higher end of it for a while. It's something that I'd kind of considered and I'd watched all the games from previous Paralympics and I'd obviously spoken to guys who'd been there and I'd been to similar sort of high level tournaments, but the scale of it was what blew me away. Like you're there, like even I'd been to world championships for wheelchair basketball previously, but that's just one sport. And it's however many teams, 12 teams, 16 teams. I don't remember men's and women's um, all in the same, all in the same sports, all in the same hotels, but that was nothing compared to Tokyo. Like, I don't know how many thousands of athletes were there. Um, I probably should have that information on hand for stuff like this, but I don't. But um, it was the amount of different athletes from different countries playing different sports that were there all in the same uh, village. Obviously, it's the the Paralympic village is the big thing that sort of sets it apart from other sort of international sporting events where you're every sport and every athlete from every sport from every country is all in the same sort of area. You have these 14 13 14 floor tire blocks with i don't know how many hundreds of athletes in each one and it's just absolutely amazing like the the food hall is completely insane you've got two floors of whatever food you want open 24 hours a day obviously you have to be sensible because you're competing but 
then you go into these arenas that are thousands of seats. They were all empty, unfortunately, because of COVID restrictions, but obviously have to keep people safe. That was number one. And understandably so. I think they made the right call. But, um, you know, massive arenas, like the amount of work that goes into the logistics of getting people here, there and everywhere with buses and volunteers and staff members and officials. And it was just, that was the thing. That's the thing that I always go back to. The scale of it completely blew me away. Obviously, on a personal level, having gone to a Paralympics for a sport that I've been playing for 20 years was sort of emotionally quite a big deal. And personally, it was massive for me, like as an achievement. Um, but yeah, just visually getting there, how big everything was and how many people were involved and what went, what like um, the amount of work that went into everything. That was the real thing that kind of stuck with me. Uh, James, doing a wee bit of research um, for this podcast and having a scroll through your Instagram, um, I've seen quite a subdued response or shout out to when you were actually getting called up for the Olympics and it was just like, hey guys, just letting everybody know I've been called up for the Paralympic team. Um, but what's it like to actually get the call? I'm sure um, it's a big deal. Um, it's It's always it's always a terrible, terrible experience. Cause like, you're just nervous no matter what, like I'd say there's boys that have been to five Paralympics that probably are still like, Oh, when the phone rings. So <laughs> it was, it was nerve wracking for me. And it was a very strange experience for me originally, because I was originally on the list of reserves. I didn't quite make the cut first time around. And then a couple of people for different personal reasons and different things, um ended up not making it and I got a call I got a call to say you're on the reserves but stay ready and then I got another call very quickly after that to be like hey something's actually yeah something's opened up you're in which was mad but yeah it's basically you get a they do it very well with the British wheelchair basketball um they kind of give everyone a time and a day and they sit and they give you a video call and they give you justification for why or why not. And yeah, it's all very, it's all very well done. And they kind of have our, they kind of have our best interests at heart and they make sure that they're not just sticking it, like nailing a list to a wall and letting everyone read it. Obviously with COVID, you couldn't have done that anyway, because we weren't all in the same place, but yeah. So basically you get a phone call and you have a bit of a chat, you're told yes or no, um, or both apparently. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then you're also, it's embargoed for a while because they need to do the official team list, like press release. And for a normal tournament, that's like a couple of days later for a Paralympics that is like a month later. So I had to just keep it quiet for a month, which is very difficult to do. Yeah. You, you can tell, like you can tell your immediate family, you don't tell any grannies, my granny up in Oma there, she just lit the beacon and everyone, everyone in Turin would have known. So couldn't have done it. <laughs> James, I think that's everybody's granny. So, uh, James, this is probably more of a sweeping statement, but kind of just to want to kind of get a bit of background of your journey from um, starting out six years old in wheelchair basketball to winning a bronze medal at the Olympic Games. Um, and when I was having a wee bit of a research under your background, I see that you initially didn't like wheelchair basketball when your mother took you at six years old. Is that right? Hi. Yeah. So I feel like I've said that enough places now that that comes up on the internet. If yeah, if, But yeah, so that was it. So... 
both me and my sister have the same disability. We both have a condition called spina bifida, which is um, it affects the development of our spinal cord um, uh, in the womb. And it can affect people in various different levels. And basically, neither of us were at much use of our, our, our legs. Uh, I can kick them about a wee bit, but they're no good for bearing the weight of my, my whole body. So I can't walk, use a wheelchair to get around day to day. So does my sister. And when we were kids, I think our parents just wanted us to get involved in something just to kind of, I say to get us out of the house, basically, we must have been melting <laughs> their heads. And they, I think the big thing is when you're six or seven, if you're an able-bodied kid, if you're lucky enough to live somewhere that you've got decent mates on the street beside you, like you'd be out two jumpers down and you'd be kicking a football about. And I did a fair bit of that with my mates. Like I was decent in nets, like, cause the wheelchair covers a decent bit of ground, like anything in the bottom corners, I'd have no chance. And I couldn't <laughs> jump. But, you know, but apart from that, you don't really have the sort of access to that sort of ability to go out and like one run about a bit and burn off a bit of energy to stay in shape as much as you need a six-year-old to stay in shape. And three, the big thing was like the social element of it. Like you don't have, I don't know, like anyone watching this who has kids might have a six-year-old or a seven-year-old who's involved in like a a football club who's just got 20 kids there that are the same ages and it's just like ready, packed potential friends. Um, And that's something that I think our parents wanted to sort of push us towards. So went in there and... I didn't really realize the profound impact it had on me at the time because I was six and I probably wouldn't have known what the word profound meant. Um, but I I was tiny and the ball was big and the chair was big and the people were strange and the net was too big and I couldn't shoot, never mind, push the chair, never mind, bounce the ball. And I basically was like, what am I doing here? I could be at home watching cartoons or whatever i don't know what i did in a wednesday night before then but my parents found out about it and brought brought us up there and told us to stick with it and i'm really glad they did because there came a point a while ago like a while after that um it could have been years honestly that i kind of I was like, ah, oh, this is this, this is not bad. I'm getting okay at this. Like the ball, the ball goes in sometimes when I want to throw it up there. It doesn't anymore. I don't know where. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think one of the things that stuck with me was like, I went in there and there was just 15 kids that looked looked like I did in inverted commas. Like there was kids in wheelchairs and not all of them used a wheelchair full-time there were amputees there were people with disabilities older brothers who and sisters who didn't need a wheelchair full-time but were allowed to play and it kind of even the playing field and it's funny like in a room full of disability um the disability went away is the big thing like they were just kids who were doing the same thing as I was and then I think where that led me to if I can take it away from sports for a minute is that like I saw that and I was six, but I was seeing kids that went off to big school um, and they were going to normal sort of fully like integrated secondary schools and grammar schools and whatever. And I had no idea that like, I didn't think about it when I was six, but like I had no idea that was happening. And as I got older, like I saw mates of mine that were going off to uni in wheelchairs and I was like, oh, this stuff is all kind of showed me what was in front of me as well, which was 
probably more useful than I thought it was as a six-year-old once again. But yeah, I think that was the big thing, like just going into a room full of people with sort of similar things going on to me and seeing them living normal lives and the senior team trained after us and there were like fully grown adults with wives and kids playing basketball and full-time wheelchair users with jobs and obviously that like maybe that's a given but like it might not have been for a six-year-old so I think that's it really sort of opened up my opened up sort of opened up doors mentally for me without even realizing at the time and obviously you just grew to enjoy it as a sport yeah um I think like I'm very competitive, so I was decent at it. So I was like, yeah, this isn't too bad. But um, I remember specifically a moment when I was about nine or 10 that I was just bouncing the ball about and kind of going from hand to hand behind my back and doing all this stuff and being like, ah, oh, I could be all right. This, this is, this is, this could take me somewhere. When I say this could take me somewhere, I meant like from one end of the basketball court to the other, not from <laughs> one side of the globe to the other. Like, yeah, I, I had no idea. I, that was always something that when I, realized that that's what it was because it wasn't that didn't exist to me like wheelchair basketball started and ended in that sports hall in my mind um and then we because we were the only team in northern ireland at the time we went over to the gb junior league which took place in different places all over england and played other kids with other disabilities um from all over the uk in league games from gosh i must have there's a photo of me I must be about seven years old, just sitting listening to a team doc being like, what is happening here? <laughs> I think I was in Liverpool at the time. So obviously that kind of like very literally broadened my horizons and that I was jumping on planes to go and play basketball against other kids from other places. And once again, I'd say that contributed to sort of all the things that sports brings you full stop in terms of like self-confidence and physical fitness and kind of probably helped me manage some sort of mental wellness at the time um even as a kid like it's good to kind of run off like a bit of steam I just but also like I just got to see a lot of different kids from different backgrounds and whatever and the sort of stuff that maybe if you played football in Belfast you might have just come across from playing in a league um it meant that that door was open to kids with disabilities as well but yeah I just remember going this is all right this is not bad and it was kind of a thing that I wanted to do sort of recreationally and then I got better and better and then the thing with wheelchair basketball is there's a fairly steady sort of pipeline from being good as a teenager to like the international stuff like I went to a Great Britain under 22 training camp so they had like an elite camp that you had to get invited to for three days but the three days before that there was one that anyone could come to like I think you had to pay a few quid and he came and it was basically just like a summer camp but it was run by Great Britain international level coaches the guy who is now the GB senior men's head coach ran the camps when I was 15 um and I went along to that just kind of see because someone was like hey this like someone went to my dad very early on um a man called Jason Kennedy who coached me from I was a wee tiny thing up to when I left uni basically and I owe I owe a lot to him and a lot of other people um at Knights Wheelchair Basketball Club and he went to my dad fairly early on and was like your kid could be pretty good at this and my dad was like oh yeah and he was like no no like your kid could be pretty good at this so I was very lucky to have a very supportive dad who um was always willing to 
pack me off on an airplane for a weekend to get a bit of peace, but also was able to push me to go and do these things. So I went to this training camp and I did the three days of this sort of open camp that anyone could come to. And I basically got, got invited back to the, to, to the real deal um, pretty soon after that. And a couple of years later, I was in the GB under 22 team kind of stayed in there through um, living in Belfast, traveling back and forward. I went to uni in Queens, um, even though maybe going over to England might've been better for the basketball stuff, but I always wanted to focus on uni as a separate thing. My dad always said like, get your degree, keep it in your back pocket and then do whatever you want. But like none of this mucking around until you, until you get that sorted. So sort of as I went along GCSEs, A-levels, uni, I was going back and forward doing different things at different levels with GB and yeah, progressed through the under 22s. And when I aged out of there, um, moved over to England to kind of have a better chance at getting better and progressing my career. Cause I was nowhere near the GB senior team at that point, but moved over to Sheffield, kind of packed all my bags. The, the, as I finished uni, went over there, tried to give myself the best chance possible of succeeding. And a couple of years later, I have a world championships gold medal and a Paralympic bronze. Right so it probably worked out. I skipped over a lot of stuff in there, but we can go back. That's a very long, that's, that's 80% of my life. So, you know. James, a lot of the young people we work with um, come from a care background and don't have a particularly good experience from school. Just kind of wanted to get uh, kind of a feel for what school was like for you growing up. And was there any barriers or issues uh, in that area? Um, well, I think the big thing I would start with is I overall had a very positive experience in school only because I had a lot of people around me that kind of tried to make sure that the barriers weren't there or that the very physical barrier of me being a wheelchair user wasn't something that came into um came into play as much as it could have so I like I even remember they were going to I went to a nursery school called Fleming Fulton, which is specifically for kids with disabilities. And they, I think they were going to send me there for a primary school. And my mom and my dad, I remember basically were very, very keen on me and my sister, both going to a, a primary school just around the corner with able-bodied kids just yeah. so that we could sort of integrate fully and just kind of get the full experience as yeah, as we were sort of able to, and we ended up there and they were really accommodating and yeah. And I'm sure there were some sort of barriers, but I was either protected or naive or both. And I kind of breezed through them. I don't know where I got my ability to just kind of. And James, I'm sure sport had a massive part to play on that. Massively. I think I also got that from my mother um, very early on. She wasn't very like nothing would phase her at all. And I think that's one of the one of the things that stuck with me from her. And yeah, like I've had, obviously, I've had a lot of barriers sort of in my way in the last it, my whole life. Obviously, the wheelchair user element is something that I'm very lucky to be able to take for granted as something that hasn't slowed me down. But it's probably just a mindset thing where. I'm sure it has, and I've gotten past it, if that makes sense. Like, 
it's one of those things that someone be like, does it not really annoy you that this happens? And I'd be like, oh, I don't even think about it anymore, which is not great. But yeah. Um... James, uh, Ronan and myself are part-time disability workers as well. And we see a lot of uh, the issues for well wheelchair users in terms of people um, parking uh, at curbs, not being able to uh, access pavements and stuff and parking in um disabled parking spots and stuff would that kind of thing frustrate you or yes it would and i think that's the point i'm i was kind of getting towards um where it's like that happens so much that i kind of just like i go ugh that's a nightmare and then get on with it like and it's not i sh- we shouldn't have to as wheelchair users as people in general if things aren't accessible to you because someone else has done something wrong or someone hasn't thought about you like that shouldn't one the world should be built in a way that you shouldn't have to think about it and like to i shouldn't have to accept that stuff like that happens like even you go somewhere and a lift's broken so you can't access something and they're like ah someone's coming out to fix it at some point today you're like did you see recently at the climate change summit in glasgow there was a I don't know, I don't remember her name, but there was a, a politician of some sort that was there who had a disability and it wasn't accessible. Like, what 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 are we doing? Like, we're talking about the future of the planet. Yeah. And we're not sure that everyone can come along. Hey, like, but yeah, I think that's, that kind of says it all, that there's probably things that happen every day to me that I just shrug off as something that is just part and parcel of being a man with a disability. Like, the amount of times that, we'll go to a cafe and I'll have to ask my wife to go in and pick the coffees up because I can't, or I'll just wait outside or, you know, like. And James, you say you travel a lot. Um, Are other countries more accessible than other countries or what's it like? Yes. For example, I currently live in Bilbao in the North of Spain. I'm very fortunate to be playing professional wheelchair basketball over here in the league um, in Spain. And it's unbelievably accessible. Like, they have a they have buses, they have the metro, they have trains, they're all completely accessible and not even like the I need to go and ask someone to come and stand beside me and help me up this ramp. Like that's not that's kind of semi-accessible, like that's requiring assistance. But yeah. the metro is just everything's flat. The buses, you press a button and a ramp comes out. Every so often um a bus driver will come and help you. And like people helping isn't like is a great thing, but needing to ask for you help be independent. Yeah, you want to be. is an issue for independence but also like there are people with more severe disabilities than myself who maybe don't have the ability to verbalize that they need help like you know what i mean like me being able to speak and say i need help is one thing but like if you have a more severe disability that affects your speech like you might be in trouble like i don't know so it's just unless it's completely identical in use to the experience of an able-bodied person it's not really fully accessible but yeah no i think there are probably more barriers than i would say there are and i think it's probably from 20 years of 26 years of a combination of having to put up with it and having people around me that are just like Fuck, you'll be fine get it in a good way like as i say like my mother um my mom passed when i was 10 years old and in those 10 years, she managed to instill the ability to get on with it and not let things phase me. And that's something that maybe without that, being someone with a disability in the world that wasn't built for it might have might have phased me a bit more than it does. But I'm very fortunate to have had that sort of 
effect instilled on me. And like, obviously, I think being a an international wheelchair basketball player and seeing a load of very able people with disabilities figuring things out. And, you know, like someone who I played wheelchair basketball with taught me how to go up an escalator in a wheelchair. Like, that's like a one very specific, tangible example. But like, I probably just see people with disabilities doing things certain ways all the time and getting on with it. And that probably teaches me to sort of persevere and stick with it. But like, you shouldn't have to get on with it (laughs) is probably the thing. James, I had one more question uh, I was going to ask you a wee bit about uh, mindset. Um, obviously, how important mindset is to you um, starting out as a wheelchair user at six year old, eventually getting to the Olympic Games. Um, I was hoping you were going to talk a wee bit about uh, building, uh, building confidence and resilience, but I think you've touched on all those um, in various areas of growing up and um, finding your way. But is there anything you'd just like to finish on in terms of uh, mindset before we go? Um. Yeah, well, as you say, I've kind of touched on it and I think it's kind of come to me through a lot of trial and error and obviously a lot of good influences. And I have um, very supportive, like my parents were very supportive. My wife, uh, I already got married like a month ago. I'm like, ah, wife. But uh, yeah, um, absolutely amazing. Uh, Congratulations, James. Thanks. And my sister was growing up with a sister with the same disability as me meant we kind of grew together in that direction but I think as I say the resilience comes from trial and error like I have been very hard on myself for most of my life through either hyper competitiveness or whatever Um, and honestly one of the reasons I'm less like that now is because a couple of years ago I had quite a big health scare so summer of 2019 I was getting ready for the training camps for the European championships and my stomach just stopped working. I basically, I thought it was like bad indigestion. Uh, Five days of not being able to keep any food done. I went to the hospital and they basically were like, yeah, your stomach's just like something's tied up, but we don't really know what the crack is. So we're going to have to like go in, see what's happening, figure it out. And we'll let you know when you wake up what we had to do. So they basically were like, we need to open it up and see what's happening. The scans are showing that something's blocked up and something's not working. So we need to go in immediately. So I, that could have been very serious, but very lucky that I got the medical attention I needed. And that was me five days of being like, it'll be fine. And my then fiance, now wife being like, go to, no, then girlfriend, now wife being like, go to hospital, you idiot. And my dad, who is a doctor, being like, yeah, definitely go to hospital. Uh, so I finally went to hospital and they immediately were like, why didn't you come sooner? Uh, <laughs> so that's some good advice if you feel like something's not right. So I had a month of about six weeks of not doing anything after that, like a full six inch scar from my ribs to my waist. Um, then three months of recovery, I managed to work all the way back to my first year playing in Spain. And about two months later, the exact same thing happened. Happened again, and this time it was, it was, it was, it was rough. I uh, went into hospital, and same thing, operation. It was pretty hectic. Um, it was very tough on me, very very tough on my wife and my whole family. And thank God they were there, like absolute saints. Um, a lot of them, because I was not well the second time mentally. Like the first time, I kind of just 
it just breezed over me. I don't know why. Um, and the second time I was not okay. Like my mental health was not in a good place. And I was very fortunate to be able to sort of seek help from internally from British wheelchair basketball. They have avenues to sort of get professional help. And I'm very fortunate from, for that, because I obviously I'm aware that the waiting times for mental health support in Northern Ireland aren't the best. And I don't know if I could have waited for six months. I don't know how my head would have been after that long. So I'm very, very glad that I got the help I needed because I was feeling very sort of anxious and angry and upset and low and every sort of negative emotion under the sun. And I think coming away from that, having done the sort of work with a psychologist and sort of on my own, I kind of, yeah, I basically, I now kind of am mentally healthier than I was a while ago. And I kind of coming through that builds real resilience in terms of like something day to day that I know isn't going to risk my life is probably not. Well, James, that's actually, that's actually a good point to kind of finish on because a lot of the podcasts that we do, um, a lot of the young people always have something to focus on and there's always that one thing, be it uh, music or sport, and that's how they build resilience. And it's good to hear your story of, you know, being in the darkness and the journey of coming through and building resilience and um also a very important point is the support systems you had that's it i was very fortunate to have those support systems as well and the big thing is like it was the doubles it was the double-edged sword of like you need to go and ask for the help and fingers crossed you'll be able to get it but also you have to do the work yourself like you have to do like someone can help you in terms of telling you to like do this thing that might help you recover or whatever but like you actually have to go and help yourself to a certain amount to a certain extent as well like I was only able to do it because I was very fortunate to have the guidance and the support and whatever but um yeah like I'm I I kind of have that resilience based on coming out of that and sort of just give me a different perspective on everything and fingers crossed that no one listening to this needs to go go through something terrible to find yeah and i hope and i do a lot of this but i'm sure a lot of people have and it's just um if nothing else it's testament to the fact that you can you can always come out better on the other side of these things like it's always it's there like the other side of these things exists and you can you can be grand on the other side if you if you sort of lean on anyone you might have around you and also kind of do the work for yourself like you kind of you you owe it to yourself and everyone deserves to feel all right so and james we'll just leave it on that point because that's a great one um and i really can't thank you enough for coming in today thank you so much for having me this was, this great. was great and thanks for um, glad to be a part of the organization as well I'm glad to be glad to be involved oh brilliant james thank you very much bye no worries. thank you